welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you short-sighted from behind the ninth green at Gay Brewer Jr. Corset Picadome, and this is episode 29. Today, we've got another episode in my series of discussions about public golf in America, this time through our local golf scene here in Central Kentucky, with golf professional Justin Mullinex. After serving as the head golf professional at Kearney Hill Golf Links and Gay Brewer Jr. Course at Picadome, Justin is now charged with overseeing Lexington's golf leagues, clinics, and championship tournament schedules, which, I must say, includes some exciting additions for the 2021 season. His job is basically to be the engagement manager for Lexington Golf for beginners and serious players, if you think about it. While the details of our discussion are local, the concepts and the themes are universal. Our discussion ranges from ideas on how golf courses fit into the larger parks and recreation puzzle, to how to get and retain people new to golf and golf course experiences, to the continuing and perhaps everlasting public versus private debate in golf. It's refreshing to hear a little bit about how the sausage gets made with respect to local budget and policy decisions, confirming my suspicions that public golf does in fact need a grassroots advocate. Before we get into the talk with Justin, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows. It's the host of podcasts for the serious golfer. Check out the latest edition of the Good Good Golf Podcast, where host Rod Morey and Adrian Logue talk with Dr. Brad Stinner, discussing the role that, now get this, public golf has in providing exercise opportunities and mental health maintenance to the senior crowd, and the impact that losses of golf courses have on those intangible benefits of golf. Pertinent. You can find the Good Good Golf Podcast wherever your podcast feeds are serviced, and please do give it a listen as it pairs really nicely with my discussion with Justin. You can interact with this show, as always, on Twitter at BlindShotsPod, as well as over on Instagram, and I'd encourage you to do so. The social media feeds will be picking up steam as the weather improves and golf opportunities increase, I suppose. As you know, the Blind Shots podcast is sponsored by me, David Hill. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. I work with homeowners buying and selling their homes and also with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in central Kentucky. You can find my contact information over at davidhill.rhr.com. Truth is, residential property markets are red hot right now as we're suffering from a lack of inventory, not only here in the greater bluegrass market, but nationwide, too, according to all the most recent economic indicators. If you want some help navigating these housing issues, reach out to me. I'm always happy to get a conversation started. And with that, we'll move on to the interview with one of the great guys in golf, Lexington's Justin Mullinex. So you are the head golf professional. I'm going to make sure I get this right. No. No? Okay. I am the player development manager for Lexington Parks Department. Okay. So that... I am no longer the head golf professional here. Are you still a golf professional? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm PGA player development. You can call me the director, manager, whatever. I don't care. Okay. But it's player development manager or player development director for Lexington Parks Department. So that means you what? I'm running all of our internal tournaments, all of our city championships. I run our AM tour. I'm in charge of all of our um, instruction our adult on the adult side, adult okay. clinics, camps, classes. Um, and, I mean, I still – I'm 
part of managing our golf professionals and superintendents. So I still do have a supervisor role, but my main focus is running all of our programming, every single bit of it. Well, that's... And if you look back on that calendar, there's a ton of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's good because I think for a while there was a desert of that. Yeah. There wasn't a ton of programming. And that's one of the things I wanted to, to talk to you about. If you were king for a day, or how would you explain to my mom, a non-golfer, the relationship within a parks and rec department of maybe parks and the recreation side? Because to my, the way I look at it is, and you know me, I'm a public golf advocate. Right. But parks don't have any private competition, really. There's no apples to apples. You can go down the street to a, a private park, maybe a state park or a national park. Right. Um, but kind of in your experience, you've been in public golf for a long time. How have you observed how that works or doesn't work and kind of how it's changed? You mean as far as, like, how, how does golf fit in into yeah. the parks and recreation department? Because it's, it's a business. It's not a youth baseball league. Correct. It's not managing tennis courts. Correct. So it, this, to, all right, so here, to me, this is where you get into the subject of is golf a service or is golf a business for the government? It goes back and forth. I've never had someone tell me one way or the other. Um, you know, it, it, and, I, and I think it depends on maybe who the politicians are that are in charge as to whether it's a service or is it a business. Um, Some of that's got to be market dependent. I mean, where we are in Lexington, the we have a, a jewel of a course in Kearney Hill. Mm -hmm. You know, that draws people from out of town. But we are not a golf destination. People don't vacation in Lexington to come play golf. And Louisville and Cincinnati are kind of in the same boat. Right. Um, so Although I will tell you, though, with this area, there's a lot of good affordable golf in this area. In places like Kearney, there are more and more people that come down from especially Canada, Michigan, from March till May, and then again from late September all the way through early November, there are a lot of people that come down here on golf packages that have turned this into a golf vacation. It's not a family vacation by no means, right? <laughs> we're not bringing kids down and we're going to the beach. But a group of guys, it, it was not out of – during that time frame when I was at Kearney, mm -hmm. Those days were booked with groups of 20 and 30 and 40 guys that were down on golf vacations. Um, yeah, you used to see a lot of Michigan, a lot of Ohio yeah. license plates there during when it was too cold for them and we still had golfable weather. Right. For lack of a better term. Right. You know, it's even funny, like just across the river, you know, that <laughs> I always used to make fun of the guys in Cincinnati. They would call us, there's snow on the ground up there and they think that it's automatically 30 degrees warmer than me <laughs> the first time you go across the Ohio river. And it's like, guys, you know, we're only 75 miles apart here. It might be a degree or two warmer, but if you have snow on the ground, we more than likely have snow on the ground as well. So um, but going back to your first question on how golf fits into the parks department, it, it has become, boy, I'd really have to tiptoe around this one here. Um, 
when I first got involved with this, golf almost was run like a separate entity, right? Right. And you had golf and then you had the Parks and Recreation Division. And now it feels more like golf has become a part of the Parks Department. And what I mean by that simply is that the whole, the landscape of Parks and Rec has gotten smaller and golf has fit into that window. Okay. Is that a budgetary reality? A lot of it is a budgetary thing. Um, prior to that, it was just that the city offered so much, right? Mm -hmm. And and things, so let's talk like baseball, for instance, okay? You and I have a background in that. Yeah, first love. There are so many private run little leagues now. Those didn't exist in Lexington. The Parks Department ran baseball mm -hmm. leagues back then. It's not happening now. Now you have the southeastern baseballs of the world and the South Lexingtons that have these massive baseball programs. And all the Parks Department does now is provide the field for them. Facilities management. Correct. And so I feel like golf has kind of slid under that umbrella a little bit more of parks and recreation um, to where everybody in the Parks Department helps with golf, if that makes sense. It does, but there's no economies of scale with that, right? Like, because you're not sharing equipment with guys that are mowing green space parks down the road. They're not borrowing golf course equipment, are they? No, but so. we are getting involved with more things like, um, for instance, out here at Picketome with the last winter storm. We've had... Um, you know, the, the Parks Department has their tree service that's come out here and helped us clean up and helped us cut down hanging limbs. Um, okay. So things like that. So there's, there's more involvement with the Parks Department. It used to be prior that the Parks Department was so spread out and was such a large thing that, you know, we're going to outside services to help us clean up things with the golf department. So a, a tree company's coming in here to get mm -hmm. hanging limbs after an ice storm instead of using the service that we 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 have in place in house right? okay um i'm not going to put you on the spot and say which one is is better but is there it's just interesting that it's continuing to move in in that direction at least here locally you know i, I don't know if that's a nationwide trend I, I don't know if you talk to people other pga guys if that's something you're seeing um you know we're starting to see a little bit in the industry I feel like there's a gulf between people that are investing in golf, be it a, you know, putting lipstick on a course and fixing it up a little bit, or maybe reimagining the space. Um, you know, the, the city has done, I always admired trying to find other ways to bring people into the golf course. You know, they ran the, they run the race, the little 5k race. Right. Um, you know, the foot golf that was here, I don't know if that's still active in mm -hmm. 2021. Uh, at Picadome, um, of because they are great green spaces, man. They're good sin eaters for a lot of water. I mean, right, right here, you've got a great view of the lake that forms every time it, it rains above your, your right. sinkhole. Um, I think what you mentioned to me a little earlier, especially uh, before we got started, the the programs. You talk to me a little bit about you. You listed them off, but you've got the amateur series that I play in. Love mm -hmm. it's. I guess there used to be 
five different golf leagues in Lexington, one for each course, and now there's kind of an umbrella. Yeah, so uh, actually it was kind of up to the golf professional as to what you wanted to do at your golf course as far as programming. And now we've kind of and that's as far as the like the men's associations mm-hmm. that we had. I had one when I was at Kearney. I think there was one at Tate's Creek. Um, don't think there was one at Lakeside and then there was one here at Picadome. It got to the point, though, where we were just regurgitating the same ideas. And we had talked for years about why don't we just combine one and make it, you know, a big Fayette County Men's Association, right? And the hiccup with that was always, of course, these are dinosaur times, right? But it was how do we, how do we distribute the money so that it is proportioned out to every golf course equally Mm -hmm. (laughs) and back then we were still rocking the cash registers well now we're we're up with the 20th century and we're we're running a pos system just like everybody else right and just to be clear that means point of sale (laughs) point of sale system yeah um so anyway so we had the idea of forming this am tour finally and the big thing was is how do we run it right do do we just have everybody schedule what they wanted and some things happened in the background to where it ended up um i took it over and i think i think that helped to have one person running it instead of maybe four or five different hands in there all giving us different ideas. Um, I, I agree. I, as someone who played in two different men's associations and then went into, um, yeah, you're going to get locked out of your office. This is going to yeah, be awesome. All right. um, then went into the league, and it was you kind of got shortchanged last year. You had you had your sprint to the finish without having a full season due to pandemic right. issues, but um, there was a smoothness and a. a I wasn't sold on the cumulative nature of it at first because I was like, I'm going to miss too many tournaments. Right. I don't want to be out of them. But the, the way you guys structured it. But the, my larger point is, is I think that's a great way to get and keep people at the golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that so many that I'm not alone in walking it. That's one of the thing. One of the reasons I stay engaged is that that recreation aspect. I like walking the golf courses. Right. I not only like it, I need it to. You know, my doctor says the the thing that I loved about it the most was that, like when I was at Kearney, I had the same group of guys that were playing in in that association. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though you're trying to grow it and find other people, it just seemed like you were constantly getting the same people. Now we, gr- we we group it, we put it together, we're blasting on social media, we're really advertising it. You know how many guys we ended up getting in that entire association that we saw for for a different faces? 50? I, I collected over 110 emails last year. We had 110 different people playing our events. Now, some of them only came and maybe played in one or two, and that's fine. Last year was a little different with right. COVID, right? I mean, we weren't even planning on doing it. We had the whole thing structured. It was set up. It was ready to roll. COVID hits, yeah. and boom. It's you guys were shut down for all of March right. or April last year. Right. And then they, they July 1 hits, and they go, okay, guys, run with your programming. And we're like, okay, here we go. And, and so the thing that I hated about last year was – 
it didn't feel organized to me. It was like, okay, here it is, but we're going to have to like change some rules because there's not as many events. The playoffs isn't going to really work because there's only four events prior to us kicking into the playoffs. You want to make it available to everybody and give them a taste of what this could be. Right. And so this year I'm really excited for it because it is going to be what it exactly was intended to be, which is a year-long process point system that well and that that drop-in aspect to it because you didn't have to play every single week right there's there's no buy-in fee or anything like that you come and go as you please and you know like this year there's 20 events and the thing that we've changed this year is we've incorporated our city championships in that so this year if you want to make the playoffs i think you have to play in eight events right so our city championship, our new mid-am championship, the senior city, and the match play are going to count as events as part of the am tour that we'll give out points for. And so that that really kind of locks you into only having to play in four am tour events if you want. It, it to me it makes it more accessible for a whole lot more people. So if you're a guy that is a country club guy who plays in our city events and looks and says, man, all I have to do is go play in four more events and I could I could have the opportunity to play in your playoffs and win a free year of golf. Who wouldn't want to do that, right? And and that's what I like is we're bringing – it has brought a lot more people to the golf course. Was it a, a bookkeeping matter or did you think it was just a better way switching from a lot of gross and net scoring to flighted by handy? Because I love that. That's the big change that I was like, yes, this this makes sense to me. I think taking the handicaps and just using them to fly it is always better. It it protects the field more, in my opinion. It does. It's as simple as that. You get rid of the sandbagger that everybody. Yeah. Or if the sandbagger's there, you pick him out really quick, right? <laughs> and he's going to figure out what flight he's going to be in pretty soon. Right. Um, the other thing I like about it, too, is using the Golf Genius program. That guy that's a sandbagger, if he plays enough events, he's going to get to the right handicap eventually because all of those scores automatically get posted. Right. And I love that. Yeah. So not that I want to be the handicap police, not but role. I do have control of posting what you play in in our events, and that's going straight into Golf Genius uh, or to the gin, I mean. Yeah. Well, through Golf Genius to the gin. I, right. I thought that was great last year. It made it um, – because it was, I don't know, it, I didn't have to worry about how many strokes an opponent was getting or um, the, uh, what is the, the am, what's a good way to put this as an amateur, uh, being exposed as a fraud because all of a sudden right. I had a bad day and, and, you know, shot 90 out here as a, I don't know, 9 or 10 handicap. Well, that, you know, it's just one off, throw it away. Yeah. Um, just enjoy the walk with my buddies. When I tell you, you know, just going back to, to what the Amtour started as, I had this idea just from playing in all of our Kentucky PGA section events. The most popular ones are the team events. And so when we started this, we thought, let's make this a variety of events, having a good time. Mm -hmm. We get, you know, not necessarily scrambles, but team events, but 18 hole best balls, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and when we started putting that out there, and I think we put, this was prior to COVID actually, we put that schedule out there and we got a lot of um, feedback from that. Guys didn't like it. They didn't want the change is scary. <laughs> change it. Yeah. 
So we're all sitting here thinking, okay, the team events are what the way that people want to go. And when COVID hit and we got the feedback that we don't really like the team events, when we got the go-ahead, it was strictly single stroke play, individual, and that's what the entire year is now. So just just a little – it threw us a curveball because we really thought guys are going to love the team aspect of this. Maybe they, so maybe they like that more informally. Like that's a, a fun game for them to play the next day after a, a league event when you get eight or eight or ten guys heading out together. Right. Or in my case, you know, the, the golf pro that gets out to play once a month if he's lucky when he goes to a tournament and he, he takes these pro-am teams. Um, it's a good way to go out there and just have fun with guys and your customers who, you know, they don't see you in that that role very often of going out and playing. Right. Um, and it was silly of me to think that those guys really want to play those team events. And actually, they just want to go out there and try and beat me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just go hang out with the golf pro, right? Yeah, it's why not? Free beat the pro day. Um, go back to a, a larger question. Well, with the AM series, I feel like when I got to Lexington in the late 90s, kind of analogous to your, your little league or your baseball situation. Like, I felt like there was a lot of city programming. There were volleyball leagues, tennis yeah. leagues, things that were kind of all over the city. Um, I don't know if – I'm sure there were golf leagues. I mean, it was the golf boom. I, I've, if you can find on the, the Internet somewhere, there still is an old Picadome Men's Association webpage, like, floating around in the ether. Yeah, and, I've seen that. And it's got, like, 200 names on it, yeah. you know, of, of guys listed emails. Um and now, like you said, you collected a hundred and something emails. There used to be a wait list to get into the city championship, is yeah. my understanding. And now, you know, a couple of years ago, you opened it up to non-Fayette County residents at one point. So I feel like these league. I love seeing these leagues and these. You know, you're advertising clinics again. You've kind of revamped the the youth program mm -hmm. um, to get kids, get them young, get them on the golf course, which father two young kids. I love that. That that makes my life easier right? Uh, when they want to go and, and hang out with daddy at the golf course. Is that something you think is a sustainable trend in public golf or is, is there too much competition from, I mean, I honestly can't sort. I haven't taken the time, and I don't want to go and sort what all the different junior programs, PGA junior leagues, leagues from out of Golf House Kentucky, golf you know teams that Man of War or other country clubs, or it seems like a mess to me. Right. And we're being able to go where I play my golf and talk to you or talk to somebody at the golf course and say, hey, Ben's looking at interested in playing and there being something here not having to introduce a whole new thing is very convenient i feel like that's just more you're playing up the community aspect a little bit more so tell me a little bit about kind of where you are with your your junior and your adult clinics and just getting yeah. people to the course so i mean well let's start with the juniors okay is that sustainable absolutely pga junior league is get it gets bigger every year um, the thing about PGA Junior League and from a public golf course perspective, the reason I think it's sustainable is guys like you, where can you go and get your kids started if you don't know that they like golf or not? And I, I'm not trying to knock the country clubs, but do you want to pay $400 for Junior League? 
No. Your, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, so <laughs> you come here to the city where it's a... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm not, once again, I'm not trying to knock the country clubs, but it's more affordable here. If he doesn't like it, you know, you don't feel like you've wasted your money or anything like that. But the thing that we're finding is, you know, the PJ Junior League is a team aspect thing. Kids love that. And so the whole stick about golf is, you know, if you go out there, it's an individual sport. There's that whole, uh, and I, I get this from the adults that I teach in these camps and clinics. There's this fear of embarrassing yourself, mm-hmm. right? Kids don't have that at nope. that age. Not at all. But they're out there with their buddies playing golf, and if they hit a bad shot, they're not looking around to see who's watching and feeling that embarrassment. They laugh and giggle about it and go on. Uh, whereas the adults, they uh, the adults are totally different. You're fine. <laughs> the adults, um, you know, they, they get that nervous... Oh, yeah. Nervousness. Who's watching, you know? It's, so It's funny. I, I, I top it, just stone cold top it or left going left more off the first tee than yeah. all the other holes combined. Yeah. My, my son doesn't do that. Yeah. I, I, so, I, um, and I can't even remember what my train of thought there, but, yeah, the junior – the Junior League, I do believe, is a huge, huge program. It might be the best program the PGA has ever put out there. Um, and it has really grown junior golf, in my opinion. I mean, there's, you know, kids and parents are looking forward to this every year, and it gets bigger. Um, they put more into it. I mean, at the end of the year, you're, you're talking, we're, we're going into All-Stars now, and there's a national championship that's out at Greyhawk in Arizona. I mean, these are fantastic opportunities for these kids. And it's a great way for them to learn. Because not only with the Junior League, it's not just them showing up on the weekend to play a scramble. You know, we have two practice nights for them. They come out, they hit balls, they learn the game, they learn the etiquette of the game. Even in a scramble format, they're, they're, they're learning also – um, you know, life lessons, mm-hmm. working together as teams, communication with their partners, you know, that all that right. stuff is important. And that's, you know, that's a whole separate topic. That's one of the things I love about the game of golf. Um, the adult camps and clinics, here's the big thing that I've noticed this year um, with COVID, they, there was this like break in junior sports, right? Right. Everybody that is, I got to get little Timmy to his baseball game or little Timmy's got basketball practice. That stuff stopped. And adults started looking around going, well, I got time. What do I do for myself? And so all of these people that in the past have said, I want to learn how to play golf. I just don't have the time. They had the time. And they're still having the time because we're getting a lot of signups for all these adult camps and clinics. And I think in this world that we live in where it's so fast paced, if there's one good thing that may have come out of COVID, it was us as adults realizing, look, life is precious. Mm -hmm. It flies by quickly. And maybe it's a good thing to slow down from time to time and learn how to play a game of golf. Be outdoors, not look at your, not not get the crick in your neck looking down at your phone. Exactly. So, um, Adult camps and clinics, you know, one thing that we um, did, we have John Dixon teaches our Golf 101 class. And Golf 101 is for the person that has never played, right? So we're teaching them everything from what do you do when you call in to get a tee time? What do you do when you check in in the pro shop? Those are things that, believe it or not, intimidate people. Absolutely. The, that's a pet peeve of mine in that 
I didn't grow up in golf. Okay. I grew up, like you said, playing baseball. Right. This is something for the first 10 years of playing golf. It was, I didn't really play golf. I just went to the golf course and drank. And that was my <laughs> excuse to hang out with my buddies. Right. I've reformed, but you know, who, where do people go to learn the etiquette of, yeah, you know, just even the on course, like, Yes, there's a follow the crowd and watch what you're doing, but it can be incredibly intimidating, I would think, as a beginner. You get on the putting green. Well, what do you do? You don't you don't want to walk in someone's line. There are all these kind of intuitive things that you don't there's no way that you would know to do without having some exposure from a golf pro or a clinic or something. So yeah, just that teaching that little, the one-on-one stuff is, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and that class is really done well. And John does a good job with it. And, um, you know, and it, it also, I mean, we still, we get them on the golf course. We're teaching them, you know, mm-hmm. grip, you know, all the basic fundamentals, grip, aim, stance. Um, and then we take them out on the golf course at the end of the night. So it's, it's 30 minutes of instruction and then 30 minutes or 45 minutes to an hour on the golf course. And we do the same thing kind of like junior league. We put them in teams so that there's not that embarrassment, that fear factor. Mm-hmm. They go out and they, they see how to play the game of golf. There are, and this is huge in like ladies clinics. I teach a lot of them and, and there's always a ton of ladies that come to these clinics and camps, but we don't retain them. And every time I ask why, it's the, always the same answer. It's, well, I, I don't know what to do after I've taken the class, right? Like, you've taught me how to hit the ball. You've taught me how to chip, putt, whatever. But I don't know what to do when I pull into the parking lot. And that's I don't know what to do on the first tee, you know? And, that's a and golf those culture things, problem. It is. And those things scare players. And that infuriates me because there are plenty of people out there that want to learn how to play golf. But we don't teach them how to get onto the golf course, and and that drives people away. And you, as a player, standing behind somebody like that, we've all been there and done mm-hmm. that. You've seen that group tee off, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a long day. Can I go off the back? Right. <laughs> and instead, I feel like that, and that part of that is my job, but is to step in there and say, look here's how you can still go out here and enjoy the day and those guys behind you are going to enjoy the day and sometimes I, I, I know people can can feel it right if you're a beginner and you tee off in the first scene you see all these people behind you and they're already rolling their eyes it's the last time they're coming back yeah. you know and I hate that it needs to be more inviting but how do we do that I don't know do you block off space? Do you have a beginner's league? You know, you've got local YMCA has preferred senior hours in the morning when kids are at school and right. and, young, and adults are, you know, working. A lot of people are working. Um, you may have to, you may have to add a league, Justin. Well, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, my dad took me to our, our local par three course here. That was where I learned. I wasn't allowed to go to the, to the big boy course until I could, I knew what I was doing out there. Mm-hmm. And over at our par three at Meadowbrook, um, John Overton that runs that has got a beginner's league out there. And it is a huge league and it attracts all of these players and then he graduates them. And specifically if they're ladies, they have a ladies beginner league, they graduate them to the five o'clock ladies league here at Picketone. Which I've and always I, been jealous of. Yeah, and, and and that is one thing, we can get to that in a minute too about <laughs> adult leagues there in the evenings but um 
that is a great way to get the ladies here and keep them here because that that five o'clock ladies league. I mean that that's a that league. It used to be bigger. It's still fairly large league, Mm -hmm. and it's growing again. So. You know, maybe, maybe he's on to something there in Meadowbrook. Maybe we, maybe we utilize that more. Maybe that's what we do with par threes. Um, I still love to go out there and play just to work on my short game, you know? That, that, was, that was my probably my biggest victory before last year's. Um, I played in the night golf tournament over there yeah. a couple of summers ago. Man, that was fun. Yeah. You know, just something completely different, wacky. Um, I don't think I lost any glow balls. I would have felt really bad for John because those things are about eight bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, but yes, and that's an interesting feature of Lexington. The way I've heard it explained to me is that you've got, you know, you've got little putting greens at all the courses, and you've got a, a par three course. That's where you go take your kids, like you said, until they're old enough to kind of graduate to the big boy course. And you've got Tate's Creek, which is kind of that first size-wise mm-hmm. um, that graduated there. And then you get to even tougher courses like Lakeside and, and Picadome. And then you've got your championship course at Kearney. Although you play the sneaky secret hidden back tees at Lakeside, and it's plenty long enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you get your U.S. I guess you get your U.S. Open qualifiers out there. Sometimes, uh, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, I think so. U.S. Open stadiums, I know some of the big qualifiers because yeah. they'll they'll stretch that thing out. Um, but at the same time, so you've got this kind of graduated system of city courses. But at the same time, you've had golf contracting mm-hmm. here in Lexington. We've lost uh, what Andover in, in the last ten years. You lost the course in Mount Sterling, Old Silo, which if that was thirty minutes closer to Lexington, I think would still be thriving maybe yeah um you're losing spring valley so you're losing two private courses in the last five years um has that have you seen just observed or take COVID out of it maybe that's maybe you can't because it hadn't filtered through long enough but do you think that is is public golf filling that void or are those people going to try to find, do you think memberships, someone from spring Valley or, or Andover, they trying to go to one of the other private country clubs in the area. So from from all the guys at the private clubs I've talked to, they're full, totally full. And just based on last year with COVID there wasn't a day you could come out to any of our golf courses and just walk on Yeah, that. I mean, that did not. Don't happen. I know it? <laughs> yeah. If you didn't have a tee time, you weren't playing golf. Um, will that continue into 2021? So far, that looks like the trend. Uh, from the warm days that we've had, our places are absolutely packed. Um, and I, I can't even remember what well, the well, question Well, part of that, I would suspect, is your reduction in inventory because you went to 15 minute intervals. Is that something, do you think that's something that sticks around? post everybody getting vaccinated, herd immunity, COVID? I, I don't know that 15 minutes sticks around because here's the thing. At 15 minutes last year, we, we were turning people away. Right. We don't want to do that. Um, will we get it back down to eight minutes like it was at Picanum? Absolutely not. It'll probably be 10 to 11 minutes. And the thing that we, we even though that loses a tee time per hour, okay, 
it was more important to us to all of the people that are playing. We, we want them to be happy. We want them to come back. And the pace of play was so much better. Now, some of that is because we had single riders, right? You mm-hmm. weren't allowed to ride together in a cart unless you were family. I don't see that changing anytime soon right now uh, for us. And if there's any golf companies or golf cart companies out there listing right now, Yamaha, EasyGo, Club Car, I will tell you, if you can figure out a way to build an individual cart at half the price of what you build it for now, I will buy 120 of them for every single golf course that we have, and we will never have single rider, uh, double rider carts again. It did improve the pace of play tremendously. I mean, that, I don't know that we had a round of golf at Pickenham that lasted longer than four hours last year. If we did, it might have been during a tournament. Yeah. I think those were the only times. Yeah. You know, the league, the guys in the leagues, one of the things I love about them, 90% of the guys play really quickly. Like yeah. They, you know, they're, everybody knows who doesn't, and that's always a fun experience. Right. But, yeah, the it moved last year and that yeah. was nice the other thing though going back to your question is and people I know I've had this conversation with with uh, former bosses and, and other golf professionals golf right now and I've said this for years after the tiger boom it, it, supply and demand was out of whack and I feel like right now supply and demand is actually at a good place we're gaining golfers not at an incredibly ridiculous rate like we did during the Tiger Boom, mm-hmm. but there's enough to sustain all the courses that we have in this area. I know that we've lost some courses and so like I hated Spring Valley Close, and that was a great golf course. Right, um, but it's close enough to the urban core that exactly, I, I get I mean, it. they got they got swallowed up by the housing development. Mm-hmm. And, and there's other courses that that could happen to them as well. But right now, as far as if you were a golf course operator, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying you're going to make a killing, but you can sustain these golf courses now based on the current supply and demand in this area, I believe. I think we're just now getting to the point that that's true. because, And this is my own personal pet theory. I've got no data to support it, but... I think after the initial crash, 08, around there, even starting more in after 9-11, when the world kind of creased to a halt, the, the golf now effect, where it was a race to the bottom on greens fees. Mm-hmm. People got, some people got addicted and got used to that six, eight, ten dollar green fee. People just desperate to the course is desperate to get people on there. Yeah, we were all after volume at that time. It right. was all about volume. There's, I think there's a certain percentage of the, either the former golfer or even the current golfer. Some people just love to complain. If they don't have something to bitch about, they're not happy. Right. I get that. But there was a, I think it's been pretty slow, especially here, which is a pretty low cost golf. I mean, Kearney Hill being a $38 course People can't believe that. People from out of town, from bigger cities, or from just more expensive parts of the country, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a, pick your number, $60, $80 course. That's not sustainable, I don't think, in Lexington, Kentucky. Or or maybe it is. Um, But that, I suspect you're no great fan of golf now. But it, just talk about green fee kind of price integrity a little bit. Um, Last maybe 15 15, 20 years. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. Golf now, to me, 
in this area for us was a discount warehouse. Mm -hmm. Okay. You go to Florida, Arizona on vacation. That's the first place you look because you don't know what golf courses are around. Right. This isn't a tourist heavy spot. These guys, the guys that were using golf now wanted the cheapest thing that they could find. We're on golf now. Um, but we don't use it as a discount warehouse. Yeah, you can get the, their hot deal or whatever yeah. it's called. It's our regular rate that's on there. And then you're paying them for a booking fee, whereas you could just call us or you could use our website and book it directly online without having to go through them. Um, so, but as far as the price structures and stuff, um, you know, we really haven't gone up on pricing a lot. We, well, I take that back. We have, and we, we had to for a few years. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes up, not this year or next year, but it'll keep increasing. We're going to have to, because if you look at things that are happening just outside of golf, I mean, right now we're, we're struggling to find employee, uh, like maintenance employees, right? We're not paying enough. Right. Well, if we got to start paying them more, you're going to have to start paying more for your green fee and that cart fee. Uh, it's just it, it's right. how it works. And we're going to there's going to be inflationary pressures all over the place coming out of this pandemic. So right. you're not talking out of school. Right. there. And that does that does concern me about can we sustain what's going on here? Um, I don't know. I really don't. You know, one of the big things that helped was how many people were working from home. You know, people could just leave at noon and they're still working on the golf course. I'm watching them. Believe me, employers out there, I'm watching them. They're on their cell phones. They're checking emails. Trust me, they're still working. But they were able to enjoy themselves while they were working, right? Yeah. Get some sunlight. Um, yeah. It's just interesting to see. I read about there's a course. Uh, you know me. I'm an architecture. I'm a... a neophyte golf architecture fan. I'm right. learning. I'm trying to, to pick things up. You're designing three Jack National for Club Pro Guy, right? Consulting. <laughs> I'm consulting. Um, but you see, there are giant, okay, there are the heavyweights of public golf that everybody knows about. Everyone knows Bethpage Black State Park. Okay. Right. You've got Torrey Pines as a a San Diego County or city municipally right. owned, but those are the unicorns. You know, that that's something that's aspirational, but even in smaller spaces, I'm starting to see cities are starting to put capital investment into golf courses, whether it, you know, updating old and probably a lot of it's not the sexy stuff. They're probably, you got 40 or 50 year old irrigation that, or drainage that needs to be changed right. or bunkers that are a maintenance hazard that maybe need to be changed or just moved or redone or something like that within the municipal golf sphere. Cause you don't have an owner that can go out and, and get a loan at the right. bank. Is that something on kind of the middle tier like this? Is that something realistic you see kind of in the greater market could, could Louisville golf, could Cincinnati golf, these kind of non-destination golf course. How hard is it to get the golf courses where, say, a pro would want them or a superintendent might want them? Just kind of writ large. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it all depends on budget dollars more than anything. But are you trying to say, like, how, how easy is it going to be to get capital projects done at Kearney? At Kearney? At, or Lakeside? Whatever. I want to turn... I want to transform Tate's Creek. That's yeah. my, my pet project yeah. for the next 50 years. Um, <laughs> slim to none. Right. 
I, I mean, right now, especially with COVID, uh, you know, we're in a city that is primarily uh, revenue is is based on tax or your income tax or occupational or occupational tax, tax sorry. yeah, payroll tax, yeah. Um, and you, we don't have. I mean, unemployment is, I don't know what percentage we're at right now, but I, I know for a while we, we took a pretty good hit there in the city. Right. And our budgets took a big hit last year because um, we, we had some, we, I mean, we, we weren't exactly staffed the way we wanted to be last year. We were pretty thin mm-hmm. um, and that hurt our product a little bit. To answer your question, as far as seeing any kind of capital improvements coming in the future, I, I can't say anything about that. There is there is a couple that are coming that haven't been. Uh, they're on the wish list. So they haven't we, been approved yet, but it looks like they're gonna be. Okay. Um. So maybe there is some hope for that. Because I, 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 this is my belief, and I've said this for years at Kearney, is we're at the point now where we have duct taped and put band aids on so much stuff that we're gonna have to make a decision at some point in time is do we reinvest in our golf courses and I, i'm not saying that as a threat but i mean there is just it's fact i mean kearney hill is now 30 almost 40 35 years old 89 89 when it opened 88 or 89 okay so we're, we're at 30 years old 31 yeah. 32 right my math's not so good today but um you know, there hasn't been a bunker renovation out there. There hasn't been a, you know, any type of let's rip up these greens and put a new strand of bent on them. Yeah. It might need that. Um, so, you know, we have to make those decisions. If I could make it, yeah, we're going to do it, right? But I understand that, the, you know, is that the first priority for the city of Lexington? No, of course not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Right? Streets, roads, firemen, police. Yeah. You know the essential the yeah. kind of hierarchy of needs. We're still dealing with the, the big, the yeah. big issues. And, and and we we can yell at the top of our lungs, man. We want this. We want this. Sure, I want this. And when you go and and you know the downtown says, look, it's just not going to happen. You're deflated, but you know why? You know, I, I mean, who? But here's one of my longstanding issues. Who goes downtown and makes that case, though? Because you guys, the the golf, the staff. I mean, you can. I think there are probably limits of how much you can can go down there and and beat on the door, um, because you're also your staff. Yeah. There's no. And there. I used to love the the annual thing they'd threaten to, to close our par three course, Meadowbrook. Yeah. And all, all the old guys that go play out there would all of a sudden start calling their council people and say, "Don't you dare!" And miraculously, at the last minute, it would be saved. Yeah. They'd find the budgetary wherewithal somewhere else, and oh, okay, Meadowbrook saved, or it may you know it shuts the season. The hours may be adjusted, but it would be kept. But there's no, there was never any organized. You know, if they threaten to close a park, okay, the whole community sees it and goes. If they threaten to, you know, change the budget of, you know, the police department, the fire department, okay, they've got a union, they've got a point person that goes and makes their case of why that's a a bad idea or should or shouldn't happen, something like that. I just don't know. Flesh this out with me. Who... Is, this, is that my job as a player to go and say, hey, you know, you've got these, you've got this great old course picket on right in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you, can we do 
X, Y, or Z to maybe, you know, to help find the budget? How, how do I get that conversation started? Um, I just feel like, you know, if it was a membership, okay, you've got committees, you've got an owner. Enough people complain to the owner, they can be nimble and either change or say, you know, take your business elsewhere. Yeah. You guys are in a little different spot. Um, I'll answer this, but you may have to cut it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the, the best thing to do to get that conversation started, okay, is for our director of golf, our deputy director, our director of the parks department, they're always down there fighting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I shouldn't. They are constantly putting the bug in the ear about, look, this is what golf needs. This is what golf needs. But, you know, there's, there's a list of priorities that the city needs to. Um, and when we are the ones going down there talking about it, what we need, it's okay. That's just coming from you. Right. But if they hear it from the citizens, I think their ears perk up a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm trying. I was trying to think of a good analogy for how that works. It basically, you know, if you uh, <laughs> if you're working at McDonald's and you tell, you know, you, hey, we need a fryer because these the fries are not tasting right. You know, they're just soggy. You hear that from an employee, you're like, yeah, whatever. You just don't know how to cook them right. But when you start hearing it from your customers, it makes you. And that may be the worst analogy in the world I've ever come up with, but it was all I could think of on my feet. But you you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, not that we don't matter to them, but from their point of view, it's just that's your wish list to make your job easier, maybe. Oh, crap. Now we have a problem because our citizens are talking about it. And like I said, you might not be able to put that one on there because that one might get me in trouble. But I'm answering your question the honest I can. I I think that's fine. Let let me turn that question this way a little bit. This folds in a couple of things we've talked about. Some of the more successful projects in public golf of recent vintage have been nonprofits. Right. Where someone, a... Now, this may be too sticky to touch, but where a third party, a, a nonprofit, a 501c3 charitable organization steps in and says, city, county, national park, you guys, we understand that you've got better budgetary you know, budget concerns. We think you've got something worth saving, worth fixing up. Let us... You know, give us permission to license it, to step in, to operate, whatever. You know, National Links Trust in D.C. has kind of done this. Um, the Bobby Jones course down in Atlanta. They, oh, I didn't know that one. It, that was a city. It was one of the five or six city courses. And kind of what they did at Eastlake, they did, but this was with a public golf course. And they took a very bad, forgettable 18-hole urban core golf course and turned it into a reversible nine hole course practice facility all kinds of stuff is that something do you think that can not every town has a golf course worth saving or five worth saving something like that but just give me your thoughts and your reaction on something like that is that is there really room for that in public golf, do you think, long-term? Uh, oh, boy, that's a good question. I, see, that's why I needed to study a little. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, 
No, really, to answer your question, I, I, I don't. I, I, not, not in this town. Uh, yeah, how are they going to be any different than any third-party operator? Yeah. Because you've, you've got that in some markets where, you know, Covington, DeVoe right. Park up there is, I think, Billy Casper now. Yeah. Kenton, Kenton County courses, but it's a much bigger market. They probably have a better profit and cent, you know, margin there. But I, I'm having trouble thinking long-term how those... They raise the money for the capital investment. It's it's a charitable thing. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know enough about that. I've read a few on a few of the courses, but I don't really know enough about that to have a very good educated answer. All I, I can tell you, just based on this town, mm-hmm. not happening, in my opinion. So my my dream of the friends of Tate's Creek to go and, and raise money to transform that that's going to be that would be awesome. I mean, could you imagine taking that piece of property and turning it into like a Sweetens Cove kind of deal? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can. That, that yeah. <laughs> oh no, those the, the imagine, dreams I have. <laughs> yeah, I have that uh, the same imagination of you know that could be done. But as far as finding a charitable organization to come in there and save it. Yeah. I don't see it in this town. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to keep that dream alive because I think you get a you get a driving range out there. You might be able to make some money. Yeah. Or, or at least have some cash flow for operations and yeah. reinvest everything. I am going to have to go read up on this whole 501c thing now. I, I'd heard about, wasn't there a course in New York that did that too? I'm sure. That did. Um, uh, no, I, I think that is, that's the one, I'm, the one I'm thinking of is when Donald Trump came in and saved Liberty, or something. Liberty, he licensed it. Is that, that what that it he, is? he stepped in more as like Casper or Kemper or one of those. He yeah. just used, um, and they canceled that as soon as he, like... January 21st, oh, really? the city canceled the contract. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, what these are doing, the, the National Links Trust one, like there are three, they used to be basically the city courses of Washington, D.C., and maybe around World War II, they became part of the National Parks System. Department of Interior runs them. And a little bit different. They're pretty high volume because yeah. the to have even daily fee golf around Washington, D.C., there's nothing in the urban core. I mean, there's these three city parks, and then it's an hour drive out to the suburbs. Right. So there's a pretty wide disparity. So they're busy. I think they were nominally profitable or break even, but they just deteriorated in condition. Yeah. And what got the charitable aspect of it, like Tom Doak is going in, architect Tom Doak, and he is donating his services to basically go back and help recreate uh, the reversible golf course aspect. You couldn't, I don't think the project would be feasible if you had to pay him his normal four or five million dollars right. to do it. Um, and you know, some in the architecture community might be upset about it because there's a paying job that just disappeared because he's in his benevolence said, you know what? I'd like to put my name on that project. I won't even charge you for yeah. it. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> um, but they've gone around and, and they've got some heavy hitters from that mid-Atlantic area to donate money. But they're going to, they bid on it. They went through the competitive bid process. And I think because it hadn't been run by the Parks Department for some time, it had always been a, a third-party operator that had no incentive to, you know, he just was trying to eke out a profit. He wasn't investing in the course. Right. And these people want um, like a 30-year lease to run it so you can invest it. And... But there's no one's making a profit on it, which is why instead of being supplemented by an owner out of pocket or a city budget, 
they're going out and raising private funds to do it. Right. Look at the one in Atlanta because it is, it's massive. I mean, like twenty million dollars they raised. Whoa. To completely redo. I mean, it's a brand new golf course, and yeah. they redid a new clubhouse, new practice facility. I think it's first tee is partnered with them down there. Um, so it, it's a, a different model. Could you do it here? I think you'd have to close two courses yeah. to be able to raise your prices enough to do it. And that's the, the devil you don't know versus the devil you know, right. kind of for us. Um, I understand that there are courses that are probably fine to close, like they're not of... I don't know how I feel about that here in this particular city. Like there are some courses in Louisville. It's like, yeah, develop those. <laughs> those. Those are dog tracks. Yeah. Do you think we're still overbuilt in this central Kentucky market? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit. But when you think about it, let's just stay just in Fayette County, okay? You, you've got one private urban course, Idle Hour. Well, it, what my point was going to be is, as far as the public venue, inside Fayette County, name me a public facility that's not owned by the city. University Club. It's only one, right? Yeah. The rest of them are all private industry, private clubs. Mm -hmm. Now, you get outside of the city and you have a few more. You've got your Houston Oaks and the Bull, uh, Gibson Bay. Do those even have public counterparts there, though? I mean, Gibson Bay is, is a municipal course. Um, well, my whole thing is, is this, is just, you know, as far as being in, the, in Fayette County. Now, is this a huge loss of revenue? I don't know. I couldn't tell you what the numbers are, but do you want to... Do you want to see those tax dollars leaving Lexington to go play other golf courses if you don't have any municipal courses here in this town? Right. I mean, that's always kind of... It, it, I would like it. I live a mile from here, from right. where we're sitting, so it's super convenient. Right. Um, it's a it's a special treat to drive the 45 minutes to Houston Oaks or yeah. to, to Gibson Bay. I, I forget about Widow's Watch because it's not Widow's Watch anymore. Um, but yeah, the inside Fayette County. Um, but at this same point, you know, we've got five golf courses in a town, five public golf courses in a town of 300,000. Yeah. You know, half million area. And so you've got those out of county kind of serve. But those, again, those are in places where you get that public private tension because there's no city of Nicholasville public golf course. There's not, um, yeah, Versailles is what, two, one private course, one just closed. So, you know, I don't know if, if there's another, anything behind Woodford Hills. Um, Not to my knowledge yet. I, I, I think yeah. it's still closed. Yeah, the the Woodford Lakes was was closed. So it's a it's interesting. There's there's a tension and a, a pressure there. I don't know the answer, but it's. Yeah. I, I think we're getting with a couple of the daily fees, having closed or or done other things. I think we're probably getting pretty close to the balance. I love the rumors though. Everyone says, yeah, my I, my uncle is connected downtown and he says Pickadome's just good as sold or Tate's Creek there the my favorite was they're going to trade Tate's Creek for Andover. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that was my favorite one. Yeah, we all heard all those rumors and I I don't know that any of them really I don't even know if they were true. I have no idea. Of course idea. they were. They're, 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 they're still golf courses. Um, 
but yeah, that, I know none of them came to fruition. I mean, as far as did it, did the conversation take place? It absolutely could have. I have no idea, but you know, I'm I'm glad we still have what we have, right? You know, because and this isn't knocking Andover, but just just think, Andover is the same age as Kearney. It's another piece of property that's going to take. You're going to have to sink money into it, right? Yeah. I don't know that Andover ever had a, any type of renovations in the time it was open. I could. I, I don't think so. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So you're talking. There you go. You're acquiring a golf course that has 30 year old irrigation and 30 <laughs> year old bunker problems. I mean, um, so I, you know, it. I'm glad we have what we have. I do believe that the city of Lexington. And I've played some other municipalities across this country. I mean, are, is it Torrey Pines? No. But as far as what we offer in the city of Lexington, I don't think it gets much better than this in municipal golf. No. No. Th this place in the summer when the, the Bermuda is growing is as fun as you're going to get for an old-style course. Yeah. Kearney Hill is as good a championship public course as most people can afford to play. Absolutely. Um I'll start wrapping up with this. Is the what are your thoughts on youth on a course? Is that a program, you know, the, the subsidy program to get mm -hmm. kids on the course? Is that something that is is growing? Huge. Okay. Awesome program. We were an early adopter. Kentucky. We were. But that's really rare for our state. We got in on kind of the the caddy program and the the early adoption. Talk it, a little bit about that. It is a great program. I wish more parents knew about. Um, but what it is, is you pay, I believe it's a $50 fee for the okay. year, and it gets you your membership for youth on course. And the way it works is there are time restrictions. I think like on the weekends, kids can't play until after 2 o'clock or something, and then Monday through Friday, maybe after like noon. But when they come to the um, clubhouse, it's a $5 green fee, period. And go walk for five bucks. I mean, that's as cheap golf as you're going to get. Yeah, barring medical necessity, get them walking. Get yeah. that exercise. And you know what the great thing I've noticed, and I noticed it even prior to COVID, was that in the summer times, kids were flooding the golf course through the week. I love that. Because when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but mom would drop me off with 10 bucks at, at a local golf course. And, you know, that would cover my $3 green fee for the day and a hot dog. And then I'd go play another 18. That covered my next $3 green fee. It was the cheapest babysitter in town, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the youth on course has brought those kids back to the golf course is a cool place to hang out, right? And I've, I feel like youth on course is really driving kids back the expense of it is obviously, you know, five bucks to go play. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, it, it's making it very affordable for the kids to come play. And it's making it affordable for the parents. But that program has really brought kids back. And it's not just your high school players. It is the recreational youth golfer. And that is something that disappeared for a while. Because the, the youth sports movement that's out there, you know, it, it almost seems like this is the way for my kid to become a professional at this. And we focus on that one. Got to get that college scholarship, yeah. Justin. Hey, I was look. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a baseball player in college. I learned how to play golf when I was about 15 years old. And here I am as a golf pro today. I was just a recreational player. You just don't see those anymore. Every kid that walks out there, it seems like is, 
you know, they're playing for their high school. They're trying to get that college scholarship. But Youth on Course brought back the, for your example, um, the dad and the son coming out to play on Sunday night at 5 o'clock at night. That aren't at a country around. club. Exactly. And I love that because that's how I learned how to play. And I think that will be great for the future of this game is, I mean, some of my best memories are spending time with my dad at the golf course as a kid, you know, 15, 16 years old. We're just out there at 8 o'clock at night. Mom's wondering how come we're not home for our <laughs> hamburger and tater tots or whatever. And we're out walking, playing golf, having a good time. Those are some of my best memories. And it will be for these kids that are out here too. But I just love the fact that that program has created a recreational golfer in the younger ages. And does it give... That sounds like a program that is helping make the golf course a comfortable place to be, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Right. If the if the attendant in the pro shop is like, hey, you know, it can chat up a little kid and make that those first few experiences positive experiences, they're going to want to come back. Right. Versus walking in intimidated, head down. Am I supposed to be here? Right. Um, well, good. I'm glad that's. We'll do what we can to publicize it. <laughs> yeah. Here, uh, oh, yeah. And I mean, podcast. yeah. And, and you know, we, we do some social media blasts on it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, for parents that are listening, I think it's yoc.org is the website. Or yeah. might, just, just Google Youth on Course. You'll find it. There's a fee for the year. You come, the, the child shows their Youth on Course card, and it's a $5 green fee for them. It's awesome. But nothing better. That's yeah. a that's a good place to. I'm sure you're going to take advantage of it when your boys start playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's assuming that we can get on the course during daylight hours. We may we may just be chipping and putting uh, a lot this summer. Well, I do I do hope that 2020 spills over to 2021 and beyond. I mean, like I said, I think we're heading down that route. There's there's nothing better. That last year was the first time that they'd come with me. Uh, ben has his little clubs. And Christopher just wanted to come. He had never seen. It was, we were walking. We went from the putting green. We just went down four. And then we got to five out here at Picadome. And it occurred to me, you know, they love their, their grandparents' farm. But I don't think Christopher had ever been on kind of mown, manicured grass in that big of expanse. You could just see his eyes just looking around, hearing, you know, it was kind of golden hour. Is that last hour sunlight in summer when birds are kind of chirping and right. little critters are running around? And he had just such wonderment just looking around to golf. Yeah, he had a golf club with him, but that was the least important yeah. thing of the entire time. Sounds like every year I go to Augusta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right. not kidding. I go, every year I go, I just, I, I try and find like a weed uh-huh. and it just doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, when, when, you, when you're walking that golf course and you have guys with backpack blowers and idle and their job is just to make sure the pine needles stay in a perfect circle, you're at a, you're at a special place there. Just, <laughs> just wonderment. Just wonderment. Well, thank you for you're doing welcome. this. Thank you. Um, we, assuming we don't get you fired, we'll do it again sometime. A big thank you to Justin Mullinex for coming on the show with me. Justin and I just barely scratched the surface of issues facing public golf here on Lexington, so I do hope to have him back on the show for round two sometime soon. Perhaps the most important upshot to me was that there are, in fact, positive developments happening in the golf scene of a mid-sized city like Lexington, this on the heels of the worst economic contraction of my lifetime, and the associated 
budgetary contractions that go along with it. Look, I hope you're blessed to have the kinds of opportunities at your local golf courses that we've got here. And if not, maybe it's worth having a conversation with your pro about trying out some new ideas. What's the worst that they're going to do? Say no? Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. When you get a moment, head over to Apple Podcasts on iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. Each time somebody leaves a five-star rating and review for this podcast equivalent of the No Putt Par, the City Council allocates five more dollars to the Golf Department's Capital Fund. I hope you enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I do promise to try better the next time. And I hope you will join me again next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. But most importantly, I hope that you're being safe and smart and sane out there. Golf season is upon us in most parts of the country right now, so it's time to put all of that off-season work to use. So try to keep up with your stretching routine. Do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Can I tell them what about, or are you just going to be weird? <laughs> it's not about beards, is it? <laughs> I, could, I could add that in there.